Welcome back to the latest edition of the OmniTalk Fast Five. It is May 28th, 2020. Man, there is a lot of craziness going on out in the world right now. Um, and it's with sad news, too. We just learned uh, here at OmniTalk, one of our one of our good friends and a follower of ours uh, passed away suddenly this week. Uh, Amy Grabo and her 16-year-old daughter died unexpectedly in a car accident. And so today we're going to dedicate this show to Amy and to her family and to her daughter. And we're going to try to do what we always do here at Omni Talk is we're going to try to have a little fun. We're going to try to give us all a little bit of a break to the end of the week, talk about the serious headlines in the world of retail, but also do it in a way that's our signature, which is having a little as much fun with it all as we possibly can. So we've got a special show today. I'm excited. We have a number of really great topics. In fact, the topics list was so long, even though it's been a shortened week, we had to leave some things on the cutting room floor, and we're also going to be joined today by a special mystery guest. So stay tuned because a special mystery guest will be introducing our headline number two this week. So I'm, of course, joined as always by Anne. How you doing? Holding up. Holding it down here. Holding up. Nice, as always. Hey, hey, hey. We got to do what we got to do. We've got Carter from his similarly nicely adorned uh, attic view. Yeah, it is It is a different view for those who are watching on YouTube or live via LinkedIn. Uh, it, but as you can see, the Peloton is still uh, prominently shown or else I wouldn't be that millennial. That's true. The weights are a very good touch. The weights are a really good touch. Whether those get used, that's a totally different question, but a very, very good touch. And of course, we've got Emma from Jersey. I'm in Minneapolis now. Oh, you're in Minneapolis now. That's right. You did the solo journey. I did. Uh, what, what was the book on tape? Hint, hint for special mystery guests as you drove from from uh, Jersey to Minneapolis. It was remarkable retail, and it was a very good book to listen to for hours and hours through nothingness that nice. never ends. Nice, remarkable retail by whom? Steve Dennis. Steve Dennis. Hmm, interesting. I wonder if he'll reappear later, but stay tuned. Mm. And question for you before we get started: Any good crawfish this weekend? Uh, yes, it is a matter of fact, I did. I think you gave you? away the lead there. Uh, <laughs> yes, I had some amazing shellfish. Uh, we, we imported some, some, uh, crawfish from Louisiana for my brother's birthday last weekend. And it was amazing. Always a fun tradition. Uh, we made sure to hose them down real good. So hopefully all the COVID was uh, cooked out of them as I know you were very concerned about that for me. I was, I was actually very concerned about how many of you were humped over what looked like a hundred tons of crawfish at, in the backyard of your parents' house. But, but Hey, as long as you guys had fun, that's what matters the most. <laughs> Emma, Emma, you had some cool news this week too. You got a free pair of kicks. Tell the, tell the audience about that. I did. Vans reached out to Omni talk and wanted to give me a graduation gift. So they let me make my own pair of custom vans. So I did that. The second I saw the email, when I woke up that morning, uploaded my own artwork and they should arrive in a couple weeks. I cannot wait to see what you've done with those. You They're have to so show cool. them off. Emma shared a picture. They're beautiful. And thank uh, you to Vans. You. Yeah, thank like you to Vans for doing yeah. what we should have done a lot earlier. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a Zoom background. We appreciate you, Emma. Emma. We certainly right. do. But thank, thank you. you. 
<laughs> yeah, that was huge. Special thanks to uh, Worth Darling Advance, too, loyal OmniTalk follower and listeners. Thanks so much for doing that. That was super nice of you to make that happen for Emma and for graduation. So we can't thank you enough. And uh, Carter, I don't know, like, what the heck did you do this Memorial Day weekend? Whatever it is that you and millennials do. Just like, sat on my Peloton and wore a lot of wore a lot of black. You wore a lot of black. Listen to my yeah. AirPods. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. And watch you know, very, AirPods. very millennial thing. AirPods. Oh man. Well, Emma got some vans. So AirPods are hands down the best, uh, <laughs> quarantine investment that I think I've ever made. I wear these things all day. They're pretty great. You guys should get some. I think we'll have to do that. I think Anne's in the market for it. We're trying to figure out what's the, what's the best way to go about it. But, uh, so far we haven't, uh, we haven't been able to lock down the right one, but we might just suck it up and I think get the uh, actual Apple AirPods here. Oh so. my God. Heaven forbid. Heaven forbid that we should look cool for once or that I should anyway. <laughs> so off brand for us. I don't think so off brand looking cool. All right. But anyway, Hey, like I said, we've got an awesome show. We've got some great stories. Some didn't even make, like I said before, some didn't even make the final cut, like Scandit's new $80 million in funding. But we do have big news from Walmart, Gucci, a new app called Yes, some significant retail waves from Instagram once again. And we're going to close with a fun story that Emma's going to introduce about a new startup called Flash Food. And of course, stick around because like I said, a special mystery guest for story number two. But first, our sponsors, the OmniTalk Fast Five is sponsored by Trigo. Trigo is developing the most advanced AI and computer vision-based checkout-free system for the grocery industry. Using standard cameras and proprietary algorithms, Trigo converts real-sized stores, introducing a frictionless shopping experience. Together with Tesco, Trigo is currently piloting the world's largest checkout-free store. To learn more, visit www.trigo.tech. And also Takeoff. Takeoff is transforming grocery by empowering grocers to thrive online. The key is micro-fulfillment, small robotic fulfillment centers that can be leveraged at a hyper-local scale. Takeoff also offers a robust software suite so grocers can seamlessly integrate the robotic solution into their existing businesses. To learn more, visit Takeoff.com. All right, and I think you're up first. You want to do the honors here? Let's do it. All right. Story number one. So Walmart announced yesterday that they are entering a partnership with the resale platform ThreadUp to sell previously owned new or like new branded clothing, shoes, handbags, and so much more online. So the collaboration with ThreadUp will add uh, the mix of other fashion brands not currently sold at Walmart. So we're talking things like Coach, Nike, Calvin Klein, Michael Kors, the list goes on. So Walmart said that as many as 750,000 resale items are being curated by ThreadUp and they'll be sold on walmart.com, but not in stores, at least for now. So uh, the other big key announcement here is that shoppers can actually return their items for free at Walmart stores uh, or to ThreadUp. They can ship them back, uh, but they'll get free shipping on anything that they order from walmart.com once they hit a threshold of $35. Now, I... I'm really excited to hear what you guys have to say about this. I'll make two quick points of note here. One, uh, I will call out that when you're searching for these items, let's just put it in the perspective of somebody who is looking for a black dress to wear to a wedding that they will not be going to this summer. If you type in black dress in the walmart.com search bar, you're served up everything that Walmart sells at Walmart or with any of their partners. However, right now you don't have access to the ThreadUp 
product. You have to go to walmart.com slash startup to get access to any of those 750,000 items. And um, so my whole thing with this right now, the where the way that I guess I'm thinking about this is that this is a good move down the road for Walmart. But until you can really put that search term in the Walmart search field and you can have side by side the Walmart products and then maybe something that's a little bit more expensive, but made by a Calvin Klein or Michael Kors, that might be a little higher quality product. This partnership is a little too flash in the pan for me. Point, point, of, clarif- point of clarification on that, Anne, too, because I'm curious. Like, what happens if you search coach or, you know, something else, like in the Walmart search bar? How does that work from your estimation? Uh, I did not try that. So okay. I will have to do that and see sure. what happens specifically. But um, I searched a lot of different terms. Just generic, know, more generic. Generic terms, terms um, in that same field. and. I- I got to imagine it'll attach it to it if it's within the assortment. So Emma, I, Emma, I know you love this. Yeah. Why do you love this? I think it's really cool because ThreadUp, for the most part, has such affordable kind of um, used clothing. And it's giving so many people who probably don't have the access to the resale market, usually because it's primarily, you know, like luxury resale that is mm-hmm. hundreds of dollars for one thing. But this just gives so many people access to the resale community. And, you know, Walmart's a familiar brand for a lot of people. It's not like you have to go to an app to get things. Like, I think it just, it's really cool that it makes it so accessible for pretty much anyone. Carter, are you buying or selling this? I think it's, I mean, I think it's interesting. I, I, you know, I'll be, I'll be curious to see it to Anne's point right now, the experience seems so disconnected on the .com that like really the benefit to the overall merchandise is is, is not there. And I think that that's one of the keys to really finding the success with this. But back to what Emma was saying, I mean, we've talked a lot about this is getting the thread up brand, getting the benefit, getting the products that they represent in front of the Walmart audience, which is massive, right? I think will be, will be key here. And I, it'll be fascinating to see how that audience takes to um, some of these brands that might be like new or slightly used and, and how it, it makes some of those products uh, accessible to that audience. And I think it'll be fascinating to see the, the drop-off thing. You know, I thought at first, I'm like, maybe I'll be pumped about this, but um, it doesn't register as high on my list of importance. I think from my understanding, I've never done thread up myself, but um, I think, you know, the return process is pretty easy from a, a return label perspective. And so, um, you know, unless you're a normal Walmart customer, which I think maybe a lot of these new audience members will be, and you could simply return it on your normal Sunday afternoon trip to Walmart. Um, I don't think it's as revolutionary. It's nice to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll see. I mean, ThreadUp's done a lot of in-store partnerships too. We'll see if that's down the line, some type of play here as well, especially with everything going on. But, and you're still kind of shaking your head here. What I would also, I, before you go though, we, you have been on this role of like dismissing the tech after day one for like, I think it's been the last like three weeks, but like that'll have, that'll change. What, what do you, what's going, what's going through your head? I guess my problem is not even talking about what the future state is or where what's on the roadmap for these types of things. They're getting so much credit for all these partnerships when it's still a tech, like, I don't know. It's just, there's still a lot to prove out to make this worthwhile. And one, like I get that you're getting exposure to the Walmart customer, but what difference does it make? Why are they not just going to thread up right now? Like what benefit are you giving them besides the $35 shipping threshold of like, I just, it, the, the user experience that is not there for me yet outside of, I think the returns process is actually the benefit here 
um, because you have, you know, 4,000, some Walmart locations that, especially for people who are new to buying resale, if they get something and it's not how they want it to be able to go to their local Walmart and return it, like Carter said on a Sunday afternoon, I think that is, is the biggest benefit that I see from this partnership right now. But then I worry about what happens to that product. Like what happens to the Walmarts all over the country that have suddenly have this influx of like thread up returns? What are they going to do with them? And how much does it cost to ship them back to a thread up warehouse and back and forth and all over? Well, thread up has that problem regardless. So that uh, it actually might help consolidate it to some degree. But I, I think the, the thing I would say here though too, is let's not forget, like I actually, it's funny that you guys don't love this. I think this is like one of the best things Walmart has done in the last two or three years. What? Yeah, no, I'm serious. I emailed their PR team this morning and said, I think this is awesome. Here's why. Oh. Okay. 750,000 items. That is a ton of items. Think about he, how e-commerce works. E-commerce is a search game. So when you can put, when you can now finally, which, which Walmart has never been able to do, capture the search terms like Coach, Nike, Calvin Klein, et cetera, that makes a huge difference. And 750,000 items, that's a lot of items to catch with that net. It's not that different than what they tried to do with the Moose Jaw acquisition. Remember that fiasco? They were like, let's buy a Moose Jaw. We can get access to all these high-end brands that we couldn't get before. And then they tried to put Black Diamond on their website. Everyone got pissed. They had to take it down. It was a total fiasco. But now they figured out a way through ThreadUp to get all the aspirational brands that they otherwise wouldn't have and to do it at a value in a way that works for e-commerce with potentially the option of going into stores down the line. So I, and there's no drawback or fallback because the brands can't do or say anything to Walmart about it because their thread up is already operationalized how this happens day in and day out. And it already has their ties with their customer around all of this. So to me, I think this is great. Moose Jaw stuff, you can search, it returns. When you search a dress on there, a black dress again, Moose Jaw's product shows up in the thinking, Walmart product feed. I agree, but you're thinking... Of course it does, but you're thinking search through the Walmart portal. I'm talking about search through Google where still 35, 40% of everything happens. You're now catching more customers to the Walmart site than you ever would have before. And that's fair. And if anyone's searching that, no one ever searching that in the past has ever ended up on Walmart ever. So this to me is absolutely brilliant. All right. We agree to disagree. Again, there's a trend growing here. That JCP debate we had last week still hasn't stopped too. And look for a post in, in uh, Forbes tomorrow about that, where I continue to take the argument of how that's an awesome idea. All right. I am excited. And are we ready to go? Our special guest is a consultant and keynote speaker on retail strategy and the future of shopping. He's also a colleague of mine that he's a, another Forbes senior contributor and early in his career, he served in senior leadership roles at several excuse me, large retail and consumer brands, including the Neiman Marcus Group. He now has a best-selling book called Remarkable Retail, How to Win and Keep Customers in the Age of Digital Disruption, which is available on Amazon and at all other major booksellers. And you can, of course, find more info about him and his book on his website, stephenpdennis.com. Steve, how you doing today? Hey there. How are you? Good, man. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. How you keeping amid this uh, coronavirus uh, hectic world? You know, I'm doing okay, and and I have uh, the bickering on your show to keep me entertained. So <laughs> we try to do it. We try to do I it. I know you say that with love, Steve. I say that with love, and it's and it's uh, you know sort of reminds me of growing up. So it's, it's nice. <laughs> 
Did you grow up in a big family? I did not grow up in a big family, but I grew up in a bickering family. So, you know. Nice, nice. Probably hence the writing style too that I imagine because I think that comes through. It's like, hey, hey, that's good. Well, that's right. All right, Steve. Well, well, Steve's going to join us here. He's going to introduce headline number two. And so, Steve, if you wouldn't mind, if you'd have the honors. Yeah. So, this is a. uh, an article from Business of Fashion about uh, Gucci just left the fashion calendar behind. Who will follow? Um, and I think the thrust, the thrust of the article is basically they are uh, moving away from uh, fashion shows being, uh, well, four or five <laughs> seasons a year, right? And um, separate men's and women's shows and, and all this kind of stuff. So, so blowing that up and. Um, Looks like they're going to be going to just two shows a year. And then there's also some sense that some of the markdown cadence and just how product deliveries get done are, are uh, that's going to be rejiggered um, in the future. Yeah, Steve, we, we asked you specifically to come on and talk about this too, given your background. I mean, from your experience, like what what's your take on this? Like, do you think this makes sense? Is it all it's cracked up to be? Are there, is there anything people are missing here? I'm curious what, what you think about this whole thing. It's been well, in the media think, a lot. Well, my my overall impression is is that it's it's probably overdue, uh, and it remains to be seen. I mean, I think the headline's great because the question is, will the rest of the industry follow? Because I think that will have a big bearing on the degree to which this really changes luxury, as opposed to specifically what Gucci and maybe a couple of other brands do. But you know, the the thing about luxury, and there's a lot of great things about the luxury fashion business, but for the most part, when it comes to digital disruption, they've watched the last 15 or 20 years happen to them. They have not exactly been at the forefront of a lot of what's what's been going on in retail. Some of that for good reasons, you could argue. But, you know, if you think about fashion shows, when I got to Neiman Marcus in 2004, the, you know, pretty much everybody, not me, because I wasn't a buyer, but but all the retailers were trudging off to Paris, New York, London, Uh, Milan several times a year and there was this big production and and all the press would be there and and everything and and you know it's incredibly expensive everybody's running around like crazy so you had to you know in a way it's analogous to brick and mortar stores right there was no digital alternative if you wanted to consume a fashion show you had to get on a plane go to a physical location be there at a certain time to consume it and then Basically, the rest of the world waited until uh, Vogue or Williams, uh, Women's Wear Daily or New York Times or whatever wrote about it and told you what, right. what happened and what you were supposed to like. Uh, but of course, over the last, you know, particularly the last 10 years, not only um, is it inefficient to send so many people running around the world uh, for 15 minutes of a fashion show that costs millions of dollars, Uh, But we've seen way more media choices come up, you know, all sorts of different fashion influencers, whether it's blogs, blog, Instagram, now TikTok, you name it. So um, so the ability to understand what's going on in the fashion world is there's just so many more choices. They're much more timely. So this is, I think, becoming increasingly a relic of the past. And the other thing is, as a practical matter, you really don't you know, big retailer does not need to go to Paris to see what Gucci is offering, right? I mean, it's, it, there's a marketing value to it and there's a get everybody together, you know, like a conference sort of value to it. So I wouldn't say that's unimportant, but I, I really think it's it's something that's just continued to 
really use its utility. And like a lot of things we're seeing coming out of the COVID-19 crisis, it's just accelerating something that I think was inevitable. So maybe it might have hung on another couple of years if, if we didn't have the pandemic, but um, yeah, it's overdue. That's interesting too. Yeah. And I think it's part of what you're saying too, there's a lot in the, in, in the stories written too, about just the sustainability impact of all that travel and that, you know, what that does in terms of whether or not we need to be doing it. The part that's hard for me, I'm curious to get your take on it is, um, and this goes back to my days at the gap too, where I can remember before I started working there, I was always like, why is all this stuff coming at these different times? Like, it feels yeah. like, you know, I should have the summer when it's the summer. But then I got in there and I started to see how consumer behavior actually happened and how you buy the inventory and therefore, you know, how you have to clearance through it. Like, is the consumer actually ready for this in terms of the behavior they'll exhibit? Like, does the consumer really want less seasons or do we just think that we do? And the follow on question to that would be, and then what is the financial implications of that as we try to buy this? knowing full well that still the overwhelming majority of in, of sales is, still happens through physical locations. Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, I generally don't like to say the consumer because one of the things I, I learned, particularly since I had customer insight reporting to me, even at a place like Neiman Marcus, mm-hmm. we had some pretty discreet behaviors across different customer segments. So sure. I think there absolutely is a large, high-spending, passionate group of luxury spenders that are very locked in to the particular season, shop at a certain time. You know, they follow the cadence that that Saks and Barney's and Neiman's and, and other specialty stores have taught them over the years. Mm-hmm. But I think there are a lot of consumers that are either infrequent shoppers in luxury and fashion uh, or new to the category that don't, that don't get it. This where now phenomenon, uh, you know, if I see it <laughs> because of, on Instagram or wherever I might see it, I want to buy it now, wear it now. So I think that's compressed a lot of what were maybe good good reasons before that were just barriers that those, those have eroded. Uh, and I think there's just a lot of pressure, maybe probably because of fast fashion for trends to go from the design phase to the rack much faster. Right. So, so I think there've been a lot of forces that have been building that have just changed some of the historical um, dynamics. And then of course you have lots of other new competitors, not only some of these vendors getting into their own direct-to-consumer businesses, but Net-A-Porter and other online players that have an editorial point of view, as well as the ability to shop online. So I think it's just a lot that has gone on yeah. over the last 10 years that just kind of breaks up breaks up that monopoly. But, you know, there's still some underlying reasons, as you well know. I mean, some of this product takes a long time to produce mm-hmm. and, and to fill the supply chain. So retailers do need to see product five, six months in advance of when it's going to hit the store for some logistical reasons, particularly if it's um, produced overseas and has come over on a ship or whatever. But but a lot of things they can certainly buy much closer in and and there's kind of excess lead time in there that I don't think is really necessary anymore. All right. Well, unfortunately, Steve's got to go. He's got got an appointment here coming up. Got to let him go for that. But Steve, tell us about the book real quick. Well, it so happens. Oh, Nice plug. For those watching on YouTube. Shameless self-promotion, which is trending, uh, at least on my posts. Um, Yeah. So, um, so just quickly, this book, you know, people have asked me uh, whether I would, it would be a different book uh, had I known that the pandemic was going to happen. And I'm sure there would be some things I would say differently, but the main point of the book is uh, 
the need to to be truly remarkable to win in this day and age, and a lot of that has to do with how digital has made so many things abundant, information, product choice, access to product, all that sort of stuff. So you used to be able to get away with being kind of average because you might have been the only store in town or the only place to get a particular brand and, and so forth. That's that's obviously radically changed. So so the first part kind of lays lays out those key trends and my take on what I think is important. And then the second part goes through these, uh, what I call the eight essentials of remarkable retail, um, which hopefully provides a good guide for, for retailers that are struggling to, to get back on the path. So I think for the most part, thankfully, uh, I think most, well, Emma, I think I heard was, she was listening to it in the, in her car. Is that right? Did I catch, I was just joining when that was. She did. Uh, um, so well, I hope she liked it because it would be really embarrassing now for me to mention that and have her say it was highly irrelevant. But but I do think uh, most of the points will be, I mean, it's not a crisis management book, but it's certainly a, a strategy book um, that hopefully will provide good perspective for folks as we move into this brave new world. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, no, she did. She read it. And hey, it's not easy to listen to a book on the way through Ohio <laughs> on your way to back to Minneapolis. So I think that's uh, something I've read particularly, it too. Particularly given who narrated it. I'm sure that was... <laughs> Right, that's, right awesome. that's awesome. And I've read it too and got the chance. Thank you very much to, to write a little thing on, on the cover. Yes, you were nice enough to that. do an endorsement, which was awesome. So thank you for that again. Yeah, absolutely. And so again, for those, for those who are interested, if you want to find the book, just remember that you can find it at, of course, at Amazon and all other major booksellers. And also, if you want, check out Steve's website, stevenpdennis.com. All right, Steve, well, thanks so much. It was great having you on the show and uh, thanks for having me. stay well in this crazy time. I'm trying. All right. All right. Awesome. Take care. All right, Carter. You guys gave me a story. I had to follow Steve Dennis. I know, man. This on me. But it's all about fashion again. All about fashion and department stores. Take it home. All about fashion department stores. We're going to keep this thread going. That's right. We all know department stores are dying, but could this app replace them? Was the title of the Fast Company article where we got story number three from. So we've been talking a ton about department stores have been in decline for years, but COVID 19, like many things, has only accelerated the decline with bankruptcies, acquisition fights between mom and dad continue to fuel. Um, But here's the thing so enter a new app called the Yes. So the, the Yes is an app that was created by Julia Bornstein, who has incredibly past or incredibly impressive background. She comes from Nordstrom's, Urban Outfitters, Sephora, and most recently she was the COO of Stitch Fix. So um, the concept of this new app is that people are going to be able to browse different products um, all in one experience. And what's amazing about this whole thing, and I did it, even though it's only for women for now, um, I, I did the whole onboarding process. I picked some awesome styles and the onboarding process is absolutely amazing. You go through photos of, do you like this? Not this. Do you like this? not this. And their AI and machine learning, finally, a great use of this uh, technology that's user-focused or user-facing, creates a long list of recommendations that are tailored to the shopper's preference. So um, not only are you getting a feed of everything that not only you told them you would like, but they what they think you might like based on the constant voting and input you're giving as a user. Um, But the shopping experience is frictionless. I know Anne has actually a personal story about how she got in a little bit of trouble, but you simply click on a product that looks interesting to you. And within one click, you can actually purchase it and get it shipped to your house. So it's absolutely amazing. So currently the app has over 150 brands and that that range is constantly uh, uh, increasing. So things like Madewell, Dolce & Gabbana are all things that are within the, the product assortment that may get recommended to you. And it's ultimately fun. So even if you're a guy who you know may not be into women's fashion, I still encourage you download the yes um, and try it out. It's, it's really an experience that we have 
wished for and hoped for from a lot of digital experiences we've seen in the last couple of weeks. And I really believe that the yes delivers on what we have all been anticipating. Wow. Okay. Big endorsement. Okay. So, so you like, you like it from a UX perspective, especially. Okay. I, I, and you know me, you know me, Chris, nothing fancy. Like there's no <laughs> bells and whistles. It's simple. Well, that's it except works. for the Peloton sitting behind you're, you, Carter. Yeah, right. <laughs> you're not a sizzle guy. So I'm surprised because like, as I heard you talking, like here are the things that are going through my head. Like, okay, they make me take a survey. That's been around forever. Okay. You're going to say it's machine learning and AI based on the survey. Yeah. Yada, yada, yada. But let's go to the sources here. Emma and you guys are probably the better ones to ask on this. Like what's, what's your takes? Uh, and why don't you go first? Well, I'm surprised to hear that Carter liked this app because after our discussion, for me, when I read about this and even after experiencing the app, I don't know why you need this app anymore now that Facebook shop is a thing. Like they are an Instagram shop. Well, right. One in the same. So I don't know that it's it's still going to hold value. I don't know that I need another app where I have to go through all of the hoops to say, I like this or I don't like this versus just getting things served to me based on things that I'm doing in my natural state. I'm liking this photo. I'm following these designers. Um, However, Shopify's got their thing that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Exactly. I mean, I think that, that unfortunately this app and, and it's uh, utility as I don't think it's going to see the adoption that it wants once Facebook shops comes to be, but it is really fun and it's really beautifully designed. Um, I love that there's one checkout you can buy from different designers. So unlike Shopify, what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, yeah. it's one source. You can put a romper from a, one designer in and a, I keep talking about rompers this time, but and a trench from another um, retailer and it's all done through Apple Pay. Like so a true marketplace. True yeah. marketplace. So I guess if I was looking at this app, I would have been, I would be knocking on the doors of my old Nordstrom people and being like, how can we make the Nordstrom.com shopping experience simulate this kind of app experience? Because that's where, to me, the value is going to come in, not as an independent app, uh, because I think it's just, it's, there's not a need for it anymore. But Emma, what did you think? There's something about this UX, hold on a second. There's something about this UX then. Oh, it's sexy. It's a sexy app. You, you, I, I like was not that disappointed about accidentally spending $1,200 on two (laughs) items. When I hit Apple Pay, of course, so, they that in the type of uh, yes, Emma, yes. what do you think? So I was so excited when that story came out, and I was like, "Oh, this is so up my alley." But I hate shopping on it. Like, mm, it's wow, actually, okay. it has a beautiful design, but I totally disagree on the UX. You have to go through every single product and say yes or no, and yes and no, and. Like in my mind, a department store, you get to look at all these things at one time. Whereas on the yes, you can really only look at like one or two products at a time and you have to scroll and scroll this way. And then you got to scroll and scroll the other way. And I just thought I got so annoyed with saying yes and no. And like, it seemed to deliver me even like products that I disliked even more. And I just got so frustrated that I just, I mean, it's still on my phone, but Is it, yeah. Go as, a final, as a final point on this, I want to combine the two pieces of feedback that you guys both gave. And you're both right. And it's both important. So, and to your point, 100%, the Facebook and you know Instagram stories from last week are super close and tied together with this story. And who knows us better than Facebook or Instagram? No one. Facebook and Instagram know us better than we know our own selves. Yeah. And so not, not only is that onboarding process eliminated, 
also to Emma's point, there is no actual input. You simply scrolling your Instagram feed and clicking on profiles and following friends and brands is enough data that Facebook and Instagram ever needs. And they're ultimately going to be able to over deliver in terms of the quality of product that you might like, because they do it millions and millions of times a second, you know, and they've dialed it in. They have the user base, they have it all. And so in comparison to what could be a potential, uh, or what the potential could be within Facebook and Instagram, this is nothing. And ideally that also then would potentially uh, wipe out Emma's concern because you wouldn't actually have to give any input to Facebook, Instagram, because they know where you are at all times. So do you still like it or are you concerned? Would you have invested $30 million? I I would have not invested my money into it. No, that is a good point. Uh, Do I like it still? Yeah, I really do like it because I think that we have been looking for a browsing, we've been looking for a browsing experience that can emulate a department store forever. And Shopify let us down three weeks Mm -hmm. ago, right? Like we thought that was going to be it. It wasn't, right? You know, so I think we were looking for this and, you know, we'll see what Facebook and Instagram do. I'm excited about that, but I'm still excited about what the story is this week. Yeah, here's my, I'm, I'm, I'm a no on the yes, if you ask me right now. That's my prediction. I'm going to be bold. Like I think... I, I tried to use it. I went on and I got, I was like, I, I'm not going to fill out another freaking survey and maybe I'm not the target market, but I get it. But I, but the reason being, and the reason I'm short on it is, is what you said, Carter, Facebook and, Facebook and social media already knows all that stuff about me. I don't have to, I don't have to do any of that. And a lot of how you're describing it, it sounds exactly like fancy, but with like a little bit of a different UX, like it's not, it's not something special. So yeah, it's a marketplace. Cool. But like, I just think there's better things on the horizon that are coming that are going to make this a pretty damn uphill battle. Um, and, and you still have to think like a retailer. And plus, and you talk about all the time, like what's the role of the influencer within this? And that also is not something we brought into this, but it's going to be in our next story where that still plays a really important role in terms of how Instagram functions and works too, which you can't discount as you're talking about how all this plays out and where people are going to spend their time and their dollars. So why don't we go to that one next? And that one is actually mine. So Instagram is testing new features that allow influencers and even Instagram to more easily collect revenue from content. So Instagram announced late, late breaking today that they will be rolling out badges and ads before Instagram TV content as a new means to support their creators and as an alternate revenue stream for both the creators and Instagram. Viewers can also purchase heart badges ranging from 99 cents to almost $5, which will post a heart in the comments on the content that the influencer has created and Instagram will take a cut of the sales on these badges. 15 second Instagram TV ads will run when people click to watch Instagram TV videos from their favorite influencers and 55% of the revenue from these ads will go to the content creators. All these phases are being tested right now and will be tweaked to provide, quote, according to TechCrunch, optimal experiences. I think this is super cool. What do you guys think? This is this is Twitch cheer bits. That's what it is. It's stolen yeah. right from Twitch. Um, okay. And I don't know if, any, if you guys want to give a download oh, quick on what it. those are. Uh, so Twitch in 2016, 17-ish, introduced these things called bits. You can buy bits for a penny a piece. And those bits allow you to uh, cheer uh, for streamers that you're watching. So let's say you're watching, let's say, mm, I don't know, OmniTalk Fast Five Live on Twitch. That's not there yet, but it will be soon. <laughs> will be um, soon. You, could, you could click bits within your comment, which allows your comment and your user to stand out. And ultimately, those micro donations add up for a lot of streamers and a lot of content publishers to be a huge amount of money, even though it's a penny or two a piece. So uh, people are buying those, or you can even watch ads on Twitch to actually get bits, which is fascinating. Um, the other interesting thing is, is the more bits you give, the more prominent 
the badges on your user, which is really what Facebook or what Instagram is, is taking here. Um, so it's just fascinating the crossover. I think it's, I, I love it. I think it's really cool. And by the way, I was looking at, I was looking at, I was like, the, the, some of the, some of the revenue on some of these new sites, like TikTok and everything, it's ridiculous how fast it's growing, but, but yeah, go Emma and Emma, what do you guys think? Go ahead, Emma. I think, I mean, I think it's cool. I mean, why not? Yeah. Like that's really my opinion. Why not? It takes well, a page from YouTube too. That's something we haven't talked about either, yeah. you know? What I think is interesting is when we're taking from the last story of the role that influencers will now play or the, I guess, what this unlocks for them. Now, influencers, there's no reason now with the amount of money that can be made. It's not just based on sponsorships. They can actually be collecting significant amounts of revenue from both the ad spend and from their individual followers. There is no reason that we're not going to start to see more influencers replacing the role of buyers or being that authority on Mm -hmm. product. And so I think this is just going to start fueling some of those um, those revenue streams for these influencers to go on and do many other things. And so I'm I think it's smart, smart on Facebook or yeah, smart on Facebook and Instagram's part and smart for for keeping good content there. Yeah. And we had Steve on earlier and I disagreed with him on one point two where he said you can't talk about the consumer like on the average, where I actually think you can. Like at the end of the day, the consumer is going to, in general, in mass, is going to spend their eyeballs on us on on so many properties. And so, like to the last point in the story, like where are you going to try to capture the mind of of the mass consumer? Like it's going to be on these social media platforms, like Carter and Ann, like you guys were just describing. So, you know, are you going to spend time on a marketplace that stands alone on its own when it doesn't have all these functionalities? That seems like a really hard hard sell for me. All right, Emma. Let's close this out. All right. Story number five is that the giant company is targeting food waste with a pilot of the Flash Food app. The Flash Food mobile app helps cut down on food waste in stores by enabling customers to buy near expiring products at a discount. Giants and shoppers using the app can purchase fresh produce, meat, deli, and bakery items close to their best before day at significantly reduced prices. And they're going to test the app at four of their Pennsylvania locations. And so, you know, food waste is a really big issue that so often just really gets brushed under the rug. And it's really great to see another really large grocer taking a stand for it and seeing to tr- if they can make that commitment. And we saw a few months ago, Meyer did the same thing where they piloted in a couple of stores and had a ton of success and planned to roll it out um, nationwide. And what I think it really shows is that like, it actually did cut down on food waste. And more importantly, people are just willing to try it. And that's a big hurdle that I think come in with grocery stores and apps a lot of the times that people just don't want to try, but they were actually successful and got people doing it. So I think it's great. Yeah, I, I, I love this. I think there was a story about this, I swear, years ago, back when we were in our infancy of the Fast Five, and I forget really, the. it, it sounds really familiar, but I love yeah. the concept of this. I think the onboarding, Emma, to your point is, is like, how do you get people to use it? But I mean, if the discounts are steep enough, like this app could drive a value that mo- most other apps in your home screen wouldn't. If I could go in and say, I'm going to get some really great food at a really discounted rate just because it's closer expiration date. I think that'd be a huge driver to download an app. You know, I've downloaded a lot more for a lot less. And I think that that is the truth of it. So um, if we can figure out how to do this, the other thing I've seen before is using the uh, paper or OLED, I think it's OLED or I forget what the actual technology is, but has sure. variable pricing on, on things. So as the, as the product ages, you know, the dynamic digital price tag actually starts to lower. Now Mm. that brings on a whole list of point of sale issues to a degree, but you can account for those as well. I just think there's a lot of room for innovation around this. And I think it's a, it's a fun category, category to play in. 
Yeah, it's a way to get digital variable pricing in store without having to go the electronic ship shelf label route too. Yeah. No, you're right, Carter. We have talked about this. This this, uh, this company was uh, initially uh, when a tech start one of the in the tech stars program up here in Minneapolis a couple of years ago. I think you. I think all three and you Ann, and I all saw that actually. We saw them present. Um, they've had success with Labas. They've had announcements around Hy-V. This thing's cool. I mean, it's it's also really timely. Like if you think about how people are shopping. Again, how the consumer is shopping, like there's been this huge gravitation towards buy online pickup in store. And so now if you can do this and get more value from that behavior as a buy online pickup in store shopper or curbside shopper by looking and sorting through what's of value first amid coronavirus, that makes a ton of sense. And you're shaking your head. Last word here. Oh, I absolutely love this. And I don't know that if it's in my blood because my great, great Italian grandmother, Conchetta Mazinga, used to go and buy all the dented cans and the cans that didn't have labels on it. And so they'd go over there and eat dinner and you just open up the can and you never knew what it was going to be, but it was a deal. God damn it. And she got it for 10 cents. So it was good. But I love this idea so much. This might be one of the best things that I've seen. Plus, you know who's doing this? hy V. So talk about a reason to come to a store in the first place. Now I've got high V where I can get my severely discounted, whether that's meat, that it's everything in the store. So it's not just the, right, you know, the, right, pro, the right. meat thing that you're seeing, but this is a reason for me to choose a place like high V. I can get my kids shoes at DSW. I can get dinner for the family and I can save a whole ton of money and pick up the other, you know, 15 things on my list. So I love maybe, it. Maybe all that discount clearance fashion merchandise that's still sitting there in all these stores too that no one's bought yet to our previous conversation, right? That's a great point. I never, I never even thought about it. The one thing, I, the one reservation I've always had with this is that it seems easy to copy. Um, and so that's why I've been surprised that we haven't seen just more retailers try to do this on their own, but maybe there's a special secret sauce there that I don't know, but I'd love to learn more about. So I think, you know, I think that's a key point. But the other thing too, if you remember back to that Techstars presentation, this thing started with a social purpose. I mean, his inspiration was, I think he was living above, I don't, I don't remember exactly, but something along these lines of he was living above a restaurant. He just saw how much food was getting thrown away. Mm -hmm. So how could he make a difference in the world? And he came up with this. Um, And it's a, yeah, it's a great idea. And it seems incredibly timely right now. So Again, uh, a lot of times luck can go in your favor if you're working hard uh, and you make your own luck. So kudos to you. I think Josh Dominguez, CEO of Flash Food as well. So, all right. Well, that was an awesome show. Thanks to everyone. Let's wrap it up. Thanks to our special guest, Steve Dennis. Remember to check out his book, Remarkable Retail, How to Win and Keep Customers in the Age of Digital Disruption, now on Amazon. And a special thank you to everyone out there, to all of you. Every one of your likes, your shares means so much to us each and every week during these times. And we cannot thank you enough. If you have time this weekend, do us a solid, become an OmniTalker and share your link out on social media. A free t-shirt is only a few friends away. And of course, if you haven't followed us yet on Instagram, be sure to do that too. Emma, what's our Instagram handle? It is at OmniTalk underscore retail. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Check us out there because we're hoping to amp up our content on that platform, uh, especially here in the next few months as we close out 2020. We hope everyone has a wonderful weekend. Stay safe. And of course, as always, be careful. Out.